Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Juan Galt Show. Today, we are joined by Smith from Thea. We also have Moss and uh, a few other very interesting um, entrepreneurs in the Bitcoin space. We'll introduce them in a moment. Thea is a multi-sig uh, iPhone and soon-to-be Android wallet. It is a company that's come out of Y Combinator. Very, very interesting. We cover a full-range discussion about multi-sig. And in particular, we focus on the Bitcoin entrepreneurial experience. We talk a lot about what it's like to be a Bitcoin entrepreneur and how that's different from a normal fiat entrepreneur. Uh, there's definitely fundamental economic incentives that are different in Bitcoin because of the way Bitcoin functions. And since Bitcoin is money and entrepreneurs kind of navigate money, then uh, it's actually a very different game. So very interesting conversation. Uh, the whole thing was uh, very deep. So I hope you will enjoy it. And uh, without further ado, let's just get into it. Um, Smith and the Bitcoin Entrepreneur. Awesome. So thank you everybody for joining. Uh, very excited about this conversation. I think Bitcoin entrepreneurship is, you know, one of those topics that is, is a special niche of entrepreneurship and that, and that topic alone does not get enough coverage. So today we have uh, Smith, co-founder of Thea Bitcoin, an iPhone uh, multi-sig wallet. That's very interesting. We'll be talking about that more during this conversation. Uh, we have Musk, Bitcoin VC, co-founder of Lightning Ventures, and Julian, co-founder of Apollo Sats, which is sort of like a Yelp for Bitcoin products. Really like the idea, and I, re- I just posted a review there of Phoenix Wallet, my favorite Lightning Wallet, so check that out as well. And uh, yeah, we have a couple of uh, pretty cool sponsors. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, there's a, a Swan alternative in Canada for Canadians. Uh, Beaver Bitcoin is Canada's most user-friendly Bitcoin on-ramp. You can buy Bitcoin instantly or set up a recurring buy directly from your bank account. Your Bitcoin is non-custodial, delivers your Bitcoin directly to your wallet that only you control, you know, your, your cold storage. is built by Bitcoiners, for Bitcoiners, and it's easy enough to recommend to family and friends. Sign up today at beaverbitcoin.com. This is an excellent design for a Bitcoin exchange, and it's the, the thing that I recommend to people. Just get in, DCA, and get your money out ASAP. Uh, that's the way to do it. We also have uh, Weiser, Yes, Yeiser. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but Yeiser is, a, is your go-to app for bite-sized Bitcoin finance education. Uh, you can learn and earn Bitcoin while competing with your friends and completing challenges all while boosting your financial knowledge. Beginners and experts alike can dive into a structured and gamified learning journey. You can install Yeiser today on iOS and Android at yzer.io. That's yzer.io. Weiser is a pretty cool app. It's a gamified uh, Bitcoin rabbit hole, and uh, they're growing very fast. I highly recommend you check them out. It's uh, it's very impressive software. Yeah, what's up, Juan? Uh, I got a I got a, a little bit of press for time, but I'm going to hang out as long as I can here. I'm at uh, Pacific Bitcoin in California. Um, 
but uh, I'm big fans of y'all here. So awesome. uh, let's hang out. Awesome. Great to have you, man. Yep. And no, no um, pressing deadlines on my side, either one. So good Wonderful. to go. So let's just jump into this panel. Um, so the idea here, I'm going to ask you guys some, some questions, right? Uh, and then feel free to take each of you uh, a few minutes with it. We'll start with Smith, Mike, and then Julian. And then, um, and then we'll move on to the next one and hopefully get a few of them, a few of them down and get some interesting insights going. So is there anything special about being a Bitcoin entrepreneur that's different from being an entrepreneur in any other industry that you guys think maybe it's not appreciated by the public that it, maybe aspiring entrepreneurs should definitely know? Actually, can I go first go here? Um, there is something, and I was just thinking about this the other day. I haven't heard anyone talk about it, but there's a really unique quality in the Bitcoin world uh, with founders, especially a lot of our portfolio companies, where they basically are ref like refuse to die. Uh, in the same way that Bitcoin, uh, you know, refuses to die in this concept of uh, anti fragility. Um, but we have many portfolio founders where they do have plenty of cash, but I know for a fact if they didn't, um, they wouldn't stop. Uh, it wouldn't stop them. And that's not something that you see in traditional startup land. I mean, when the money runs out, so does their enthusiasm uh, for the most part. But whether they're making payroll or not or whatever the situation is, I just think it's, it's a unique Uh, quality that a lot of founders in this space have, and I don't, I don't think it's really appreciated. Yeah, no, I think I certainly sort of echo with Mike. Um, I, I guess the reason why you know all of us are sort of so you know anti fragile, uh, quote unquote, is because you know all all of us sort of have a long term belief in Bitcoin, right? Um, we see Bitcoin to stay here and and continue to do well, continue to penetrate like every single, you know, section of society in, in terms of like global markets, finance, um, and, and many other things. So I think uh, that long-term anchoring uh, gives us a lot of confidence. Um, it, it allows us to build on that base. And um, yeah, Bitcoin is a low time preference game. Uh, all, all of us have have this sort of, you know, insane energy uh, to, to make it. And uh, we, we certainly hope Uh, to see like more Bitcoin entrepreneurs uh, come up in the space, uh, you know, last several years, obviously, uh, you know, crypto industry saw a lot of, you know, entrepreneurship, but um, I, I think the tides are changing. Now we see so many like Bitcoin companies on, on the Twitter sphere, outside Twitter. Um, so yeah, we, we're certainly very excited about supporting and, and building in this industry. Yeah, definitely echo what Mike and Smit have just said. I suppose I would add that, What feels a bit unique about building in Bitcoin is one that there's this kind of collegiate and and collaborative um, vibe and feeling amongst founders and builders in the space. Even when you know, I think folks might overlap a little bit in, in terms of being competitive, direct or or, or indirect. There's a, definitely a feeling that everybody is kind of on the same team, um, and so that is it's kind of a, it, to me it's a, it's a special. Um, feeling and special environment to be in, um, and the other part of it too, and I think Smith said something similar. It's it's um, building in this space. You're, you there's kind of a determinate optimism that you have, where yeah, other people building in other industries might be mission driven or, or think of themselves that way, but the mission here is so clear, right? Like we know what Bitcoin is, we know where Bitcoin's going, and and what 
success looks like. And so I think there's a very clear, um, a very clear vision of just wanting to align with that and kind of contribute to it. And I, and I suppose that's seeing something greater than ourselves. And so at least for us at, at Apollo, we kind of anchor to this idea of contributing to Bitcoin at the end of the day, Bitcoin adoption, um, the growth of the ecosystem. And so um, we, we build in service of that. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I mean, you know, you hear these things, you hear that Bitcoin is sort of like a big boat and we're all sort of in it working together, even though there's like little niches and so on. But it's really great to hear from entrepreneurs that are basically stitching these companies together. Um, so we're go- we're going to have some more questions that are echo that. But I think one question that I've always been fascinated by is that all the entrepreneurs that I've met are very high energy and they get a lot done. They're very, very efficient. Um, to, to, let's say, take a little side, uh, side stream here. What are your daily routines? What, what, like, what is the first thing you do in the morning? What is the last thing you do at at night? And how do you, how do you optimize your day towards that efficiency that I think all entrepreneurs need, probably especially Bitcoin entrepreneurs, since it's such a crazy environment. Sorry, just, uh, just want to hop on real quick and say that, yes, we also have Rob Hamilton here of Anchor Watch. And I think that'd be a great question to hand over to Rob. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess to jump off on the routine, I'm currently wearing my 40-pound weighted vest, getting my 10,000 steps in. So Steven Lupka's out there. He knows that I'm I'm on the mission. I'm getting my steps in. So I guess that starts with physical exercise. To, to briefly just comment on the previous question, I would actually bifurcate it and entrepreneurship in Bitcoin and the founders in Bitcoin and then like building a company in Bitcoin. Um, I think that everyone, all of the founders who I've met in Bitcoin who – I aspire to execute at their level or people who I think are like very fine, like strong operators. I think they are special kind of people who would be successful in entrepreneurship independent of whatever domain they chose. And they just had a passion in Bitcoin and they focused on that. The same kind of, the, the, the tweak here is just that they're very involved in Bitcoin. And with Bitcoin, building a company, focusing entrepreneurship in Bitcoin, I'm, I'm humble enough to acknowledge that I, I've only just closed my seed round. I'm very humbly looking at the problem from where I currently stand this far to here. And and I would say it's interesting with Bitcoin and entrepreneurship because it is, I think uh, Julian said earlier, like collegiate, like there's a very small, tight network of people. Um, We're all very well connected. We all know each other. We all go to the same conferences. We all talk to each other, which is an interesting dynamic building because I think oftentimes maybe a little bit of a contrarian take is that when people are building and designing products in Bitcoin, they, they seek validation from Bitcoin Twitter. And I think um, a thing to think about is like trying to focus on who your actual core customer is. And I love Bitcoin Twitter. Um, you know, I've been around for a long time, but there's maybe 10,000 people. And um, for building big scaled enterprise businesses that I'm trying to focus on at least, like they're not going to be like the entire customer base, right? So being trying to put yourself in a position of understanding what your target customer wants and building to their needs it's something I would say just as a unsolicited advice, but interesting dynamic of building on Bitcoin Twitter is we all talk to each other. We all see what we're doing. And I think it's important to kind of have your own mission statement and vision on how you want to execute and then periodically check in for feedback, but you don't want to be kind of ruled by the mob. Um, that's a routine, though. Um, gym, uh, time with family, working. Outside of that, I kind of lose all my waking hours of the day and make sure I get my eight hours sleep. And that, that roughly ties up both questions for me. 
Yeah, no, I think I, I certainly agree with Rob. I think, um, you know, the, the core idea is to like make something that people want. Um, what we have realized over the years of, you know, building previous companies and, and funding businesses in the past is that ultimately founders need to meet uh, where the users are. Obviously, you know, as, as Rob said, like we all love being on Bitcoin Twitter and Bitcoin Twitter is like a, a core part of our, you know, sort of quote unquote lifestyle. Uh, but at some level, um, we need to build something that users can really use pe- people, you know, um, who, who are willing to pay for products like this. And 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 one common theme in, in the Bitcoin industry that we see is that uh, people end up like building products that founders want to see exist for themselves in the world. And that is typically a recipe for disaster, right? Uh, of course, you should never really compromise your ethos to solve, solve the users, but at the same time, expecting users to like completely change behavior and, and completely adopt to your worldview um, is is definitely futile. That's that's not going to happen. That's not how like great companies are built. You need to meet uh, where, where users are and, and build with a very thoughtfulness and and sort of execute uh, well. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Smith and Rob's take here. Um, we we talk about it all the time, um, and, and I guess to put a finer point on it, um, in practical terms, we. What we try to do is essentially make no decision without talking to customers and talking to our users, um, whether it's product decisions, well, mainly product decisions, but um, yeah, what are we building and why and who are we building it for? Like it's, you can even, you can know this, right? That like we shouldn't get, we shouldn't just build for ourselves to, to Smith's point, um, but it actually does require some discipline um, and I guess to the point of what does the routine look like really building in that process of soliciting feedback from users and and building with them and for them. Right. Mas, you want to share your your secret potion for getting shit done? Honestly, this is probably what I struggle with the most. Um, You know, delegating. I'm a terrible delegator. That's what happens when you're a control freak. And, uh, you know, you go through all these, you know, Ben Franklin things and time blocking and all of this kind of stuff. And pretty much what I've always done is just got up and I just run as hard as I possibly can until like either I can't stare at a screen anymore or my wife like just rips me off the computer and like I just can't can't be there. And she basically forces me to stop. And then sleep and get up and do it all over again. And that's, you know, something that uh, that I could use some help with. But what I'm finding is that if you delegate and give things to other people, they actually surprise you with how great they do things. So I'm going to try to do that more because it's been working. Mm. Yeah, delegation seems like one of those essential uh, skills that are actually quite tricky to, to really get good at, eh? Um, so let, let's, let's continue on this line of thought. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I, that I see in, in the Bitcoin world is that, you know, in, in fiat entrepreneurship, you have this sort of scoreboard, right? Which is just get more dollars, increase your balance sheet. What are your stock numbers, stock numbers? What's your treasury size? And so on. I assume that's kind of how these companies are judged or judged themselves, right? In a, in a capitalist world, uh, and that's easy enough with a with a dollar that's more or less stable, even though it inflates, you know, at least ten percent a year. Uh, but with Bitcoin, you have these sort of very volatile market with very wild 
uh, increases in price every few years. Uh, and so it's, it's a very different scoreboard. Um, does that, do you guys feel a difference there? Perhaps those that have had experience of working in both worlds, is there a difference in how you judge your success as a Bitcoin entrepreneur? Yeah, no, I think the, the, the price volatility of Bitcoin does kind of affect, uh, but that really only affects if you're sort of trying to, you know, go out and, and fundraise um, and, and things like that. Other than that, the mean, you know, one BTC is equal to one BTC is 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 intact, right? And as as long as you're sort of, again, believe in those ethos and, and continue to like build products that people really want and want to use, um, I think the price volatility sort of doesn't really matter in, in, in the long run. I think it, you know, if obviously um, if you're trying to raise your seed round or, or, you know, series A or whatever that might be in a bear market, things get tough. Uh, we were raising our seed round in, in the Q1 of 2023. And obviously that was probably the, the lowest point in the broader sort of, you know, Bitcoin Twitter um, market. But, you know, th- thankfully, we were able to sort of raise because, you know, good investors are able to see through um, that the, the, the short term price fluctuation is, is not really relevant. And in, in the long run, what matters is, are you creating value for users? Are you fortifying your balance sheet uh, with Bitcoin and things like that? So I'll. Yeah, I would, I would add to that one. I, I don't necessarily think the scoreboard is different. Um at the, certainly, at least not at this stage of Bitcoin. But one thing that I'm conscious of, not yet having gone through this, is the volatility. Well, let's say the, the cycle, the Bitcoin cycle, um, will have um, an analogous cycle in terms of, um, or I guess the the business performance um, and growth. And one thing we have to be conscious of is. Um, and I guess this goes to kind of Mike's first point is is staying alive for the for the long term. And so what that means is we can't get too ahead of our skis when the bull market comes and over higher and um, do too much too fast because we have to be prepared for the likelihood of a downturn that follows that. Um, and that's broadly true for any startup and any tech company. But I think as as Bitcoiners, we're particularly conscious. Um, of of how volati- volatility is likely to play out in that context. So it's like stay alive until the bull market comes, take advantage as much as you can, but at the same time be aware that uh, it's probably not going to last. I'll also just add on to, um, you know, Julian is that uh, 2010s was a very, very different era in terms of company building. Um, both me and my co-founders you know, built our first companies in 2010s. Um, you know, I kind of, sort of did not succeed. My co-founder had a phenomenal success. Uh, his his company is probably going public in, in the next couple of years. Um, but the point being that 2010s was a very, very different environment uh, in terms of fundraising, in terms of what investors were expecting out of you. Um, but I think 2020s are a whole different game. Um, capital is going to be scarce. Interest rates are going to be high. Um, capital efficiency and profitability is is the name of the game. Investors, out, if unless you are an AI company or doing something like ultra fancy, investors are not going to like pour in like crazy amounts of money into your business, and that kind of forces you know entrepreneurs, um, especially like you know, um, as, as Rob was mentioning earlier, like you know people who are sort of very thoughtful, um, they they will be like smart about deploying capital, they will be smart about scaling with the right amount of efficiency and, and limited resources. And, and, and that's where we see uh, the world headed. 2020s are, are about like 
you know, building great businesses with very high capital efficiency and there exists venture capital out there. Um, so it's not as if the venture capital industry is going to die. It's just that um, the the long tail of funds, which were basically sort of, you know, pouring in uh, money into like late stage companies uh, at, at crazy valuations with no profitability in sight, uh, that kind of model is going to really struggle with sort of this, you know, uh, global global uh, macro bust that they're kind of going going through. So uh, in, in some levels, a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs I meet uh, from Y Combinator, otherwise, they still anchor a lot of their capital thinking to like 2010s because that's where sort of they either like grew up or like worked as, you know, uh, founding engineers and things like that. And they think that, okay, hey, like my previous company was able to raise at this valuation this much money, so I should be able to do that as well. But that's not going to be true anymore. Um, this this is a whole whole different ball game. And um, yeah, be, being capital efficient is, is, is the name of the game. I would just, um, two thoughts just around the conversation is one balance sheet was mentioned. I personally am of a mind that if you have less than a year runway, you shouldn't hold any Bitcoin. Um, you're, you're not a hedge fund. Your people give you money to try and build a business that can accrue value. And you're already building a Bitcoin business. So you're already hyper correlated to Bitcoin as an asset. Um, and I speak this just directly. Like I started anchor watch in February of 2022 and Bitcoin price was 50 K if people who invested in me gave me Bitcoin and I held on to that as Bitcoin, I'd be dead right now. So like my, my mandate was to build a company of value. So that's, sorry, I'm, I'm still doing the weighted vest walk. That's probably a little bit of a contrarian take. Um, I would add on to this, that Bitcoin can be part of a treasury strategy, obviously, as you have more runway and you have less uncertainty and you're able to execute, get customer revenue, kind of offset things. So you have like a treasury asset side of the balance sheet. Um, as for now to fundraise, like... This is kind of like the skeletons in the closet of people that, in general, in venture, I'm not even talking Bitcoin stuff, but in general, people who've raised at frothy valuations, whether it was starting a company or up rounds or whatever have you, in these frothy 2020 to 2022 environments, I think 2022, it started coming down, but 2020 and 2021, um, a lot of those companies have death sentences now. They've... They've now raised so much money that their preferred liquidity stack, meaning the amount of money that investors put into these companies, are, is more than the actual valuation of the company at this point. Which means that like, there's a total wipeout of the founding equity and the common share pool, and it's not a good. So from the context of like the name of the room, like Bitcoin entrepreneurial like discussions and advice, now's a great time. Valuations are down a lot, and that may seem counterintuitive to you as a founder, but. <clears throat> If you're long-term iterative trying to play a game, it gives you room and ability to achieve milestone success, have your early investors win along with you, and continue to kind of lever up as you unlock milestones and progress. You're much better off doing that and actually surviving and actually getting the win at the end. Um, one of my investors has this advice that basically every time you raise, you're increasing the hurdle rate for what you have to do to succeed. And you're able to do that to what Smeet said, be more capital efficient, doing more with less. Um, finding ways to be more productive with, with less, not being chasing the headlines of big piles of money, but actually trying to get to the end goal of creating shareholder value. So those are just kind of random thoughts around the timing of being an entrepreneur right now, balance sheet stuff, and uh, kind of the overall market dynamics. That I think that there's not been a better time to like be a Bitcoin entrepreneur. This is this is the right time to build. Uh, bear markets are for building. Uh, bull markets are, are are for growing. So this is the right time to build, guys. If anyone, any of you are trying to like start a company now. 
Yeah, it's just such a difficult time to raise. Like, it's the hardest time ever. Um, I mean, like, kudos to, you know, Rob and Anchor Watch for, you know, raising three million bucks in this environment. But it is just so hard, you know, and like coming from two, three months ago, like felt like that was over, you know, felt like the worst was behind us. Um, and literally right now, I think is, is the worst. And there's a few like, you know, success stories in there and, you know, it takes a while, takes forever. Like rounds are taking forever to close or extremely longer, uh, founders end up, you know, they set out to raise a million dollars, let's just say, and maybe they raise 500 or 700. And then they basically like they get frustrated, you can only do one thing, right? You're either building your company or you're fundraising, you can do one at a time. And you stop, you basically pause the round and go back to building and you end up in this kind of passive fundraising mode where you answer the phone if it rings or respond or take some incoming but you know you raised 60 percent of what you set out to raise it's enough to kind of make a few hires and, and do a few things and then you end up in this kind of like passive area that's like most of the rounds right now i mean the anchor watch um the anchor watch round is really an exception uh to what's going on and not only that but it's double hard if you're in Bitcoin, right? If you're a Bitcoin company, um, and that goes for anything, okay? If you're building a video game and that video game uses Bitcoin, you're not really viewed as a gaming company. Once you have the B word in there, uh, whatever you're doing is you're a Bitcoin company. So it, it's double hard. It's still dragged in with all this crypto stuff that's going on. I mean, look at where we're at right now. The SBF, um, the SBF, trial starting today is that a significant is that like a of this uh is that the end of this kind of like terrible period and yeah unless you're in ai like stuff's just like not getting funded and um i don't really know if a bull market is totally going to change that because i also think it's a unique challenge for bitcoin startups or bitcoin venture capital because if we get a significant bitcoin rip and we're back to 45 or so thousand all that you're thinking as a potential LP with dry, dry powder on the sidelines is I need more Bitcoin. That's all you're thinking. The Bitcoin price tomorrow pumps 18%. People are not just going out and cutting six figure checks to every venture fund uh, that's raising uh, for a Bitcoin, you know, native uh, fund. They're like buying Bitcoin. So it's like double, I think it's double as challenging. You know, I think it has to get to a place and sort of kind of plateau there and kind of just be orderly. And then maybe some of that money will come in. And then finally, the last thing, it's even more challenging because literally everyone's raising, literally everyone, every company's raising, every venture fund is raising. They all raise their first funds around a certain time. They've deployed them. I mean, you could go through like every Bitcoin focused VC right now, they're all raising. So like everyone's exhausted, right? The LPs are exhausted from getting pitched all day long from every Bitcoin VC that's out there. Uh, you know, plus, you know, the angel investors who are also getting pitched from them. But then in addition to getting pitched from the funds, the angel investors are getting pitched from, you know, syndicates and, and uh, startups directly and everyone else. And the VCs are 
exhausted from pitching and just like everyone is basically asking everyone else for money right now. By the way, we're about to launch our second fund at Lightning Ventures. So uh, if anyone, no, just kidding. Um, but yeah, seriously, everyone and, uh, you know, Smeet had a good point too, you know, um, Smeet, they closed a, um, a big round too. I'm not sure if that press release went out or if the numbers are there, but Smeet raised in a terrible time. But Smeet also had a little bit of an advantage that, you know, Anchor Watch or some of these other companies didn't have. And when you can put that YC logo uh, next to your name, it helps. Um, and, you know, th they definitely have a lot of support, you know, kind of post co cohort. And it is what you make of it, right? Your mileage can vary. Um, and he had some other kind of notable uh, funds that were outside of the Bitcoin space, you know, and that, that like helped a little bit. Um, but normally you're not seeing these things come together and the anchor watch thing is really special and cool. And, you know, it's, you don't see that a lot. Yeah, That's absolutely. I, I, I think, I, I think like we, we had a slightly a contrarian sort of fundraising journey, um, we we ended up not not raising almost any any money um, from traditional Bitcoin VCs. Um, you know, uh, might might be an exception. He sort of obviously supported us, but but all our you know investors and and we've not really announced around. We will be doing it in in the next few weeks. All our investors are traditional sort of Silicon Valley investors, and that kind of like helps us you know um, balance out this risk um, that you know Mike was earlier talking about about Bitcoin VCs you know wanting LPs wanting to like put money into Bitcoin directly instead of Bitcoin startups. Um, our our investors and our sort of you know traditional investors LP base is is all like traditional money fiat money. Uh, they probably don't understand Bitcoin that deeply. They like the team, they like Bitcoin, so they kind of obviously invested into us. Um, but yeah, um, if if you're out there, it is it is a tough time. It is a tough time for AI companies as well. Uh, you know, a large majority of AI companies still sort of struggling to raise money. So it's 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 certainly a much harder time for Bitcoin companies, but. Um, yeah, keep keep building, um, keep talking to like investors outside of Bitcoin industry as well. I would say that's that's what definitely worked for us. So I would certainly encourage uh, founders to like uh, go above and beyond the traditional Bitcoin VCs. How amazing is this conversation right now, guys? I, you know, I'm I'm learning a ton. I am an aspiring entrepreneur. You know, I've always loved this uh, this side of of business. And uh, so yeah, please please share this conversation. Uh, tweet it out. Retweet it share the link just so more people can hear it and and and, and learn uh, these kind of things which will benefit all of us right if people are better entrepreneurs we all we all improve it we all benefit from it so pump the pump the link and uh, let's let me ask you guys another question which I think is this is probably the most difficult question that any entrepreneur uh, an investor has to face in the Bitcoin world specifically and you know and to be fair the whole market like the market as a whole is kind of a slug right now as far as I can tell everything's more expensive there's less money flowing around like you know where we are in a kind of like soft recession uh you know to be generous perhaps you know perhaps it's worse perhaps it's better but um you know if if somebody says to you why should i invest in your company if i can just buy bitcoin you know how do i know that you're going to outperform bitcoin over the next half a decade how do you guys how do you guys deal with that that question and um Let's start with Moss and then and then maybe Smeet and go on. So there's a panel um, at the Pacific Bitcoin, uh, uh, and I suggested that as a topic because it's you know, as a point because I think it's the number one thing that 
Bitcoin VCs have to uh, have to go up against is the benchmark, you know, the litmus test of outperforming the price of Bitcoin. And number one, if I didn't think that investing in Bitcoin startups would ultimately outperform the price of Bitcoin, um, especially at this point in time with Bitcoin at 27,000 versus Bitcoin $3, which many um, companies did still outperform the price of Bitcoin over um, long periods during those early days of Bitcoin. Um, If I didn't believe that it, it did, then I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't be doing any of this. Okay. If buying Bitcoin was the best cash on cash return, um, then I just clear, I just wouldn't do this. Um, so, you know, it, it has to outperform the price of Bitcoin and timing has a lot to do with it. And timing can help, uh, average investors. Um, and you know, good investors will outperform in periods of bad timing. So like, um, what Rob was saying or, uh, uh, with, uh, uh, like a 50 K with a 50 K Bitcoin price, um, you know, we, we raised our small little pilot fund, uh, when the Bitcoin price was between 50 and 60,000, somewhere around there. Uh, and if you sold half a Bitcoin to invest $25,000 into a Bitcoin, uh, focused fund, that fund probably has a positive IRR now. I know ours does, right? It's not much, but, you know, single digits as a positive IRR over that time period and just hodling um, for that time. Uh, if you're measuring your wealth in U.S. dollars, right, on the on the price of Bitcoin for the spot trading, then you would be down 50 percent. OK, and that goes the other way, too. Right. Um, right now, if you have the opportunity to invest in a Bitcoin fund or uh, one of these amazing startups, if you were going to invest uh, twenty five or fifty thousand, fifty thousand and had to think about selling, you know, one or two Bitcoin to do so now at this point in time, um, you know, the Bitcoin price could be you know, double by the end of the year. I mean, who knows? Right. It's Bitcoin. Like it can do anything. You know, so I think that that timing and that cycle, it can really work for you. Um, You know, certainly, certainly it works for you uh, and it works against you. So um, I I'm a firm believer that we are going to, especially now when valuations have contracted, you know, and, you know, have contracted and everything has kind of gotten down to, okay, you know, it's not just about let's raise X amount of dollars and that'll get us another, you know, 20 months. It's about achieving some kind of profitability, reducing the burn and, and profitability matters, right? It should have always mattered, but it definitely matters more because in the low interest rate environment, oh, it's all about growth, right? Growth, 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 and you burn cash. And in this environment, it's all about when is some sort of cash flow break even going to happen. And that's like a nice reality check. You know, it's a nice reality check that, that, that it doesn't get too out of balance. Right. So especially if you're a Bitcoin company that was born in this, you know, terrible period, uh, you should get kind of an extra medal of honor uh, for really coming out now um, in, in like a really bad time. And finally, last thing I'll say is there are some really good deals out there right now. I mean, there are more good 
uh, investment opportunities in the Bitcoin uh, startup ecosystem now uh, than ever before at great valuations, right? But what's the problem? Nobody has any cashola. Yeah, I um, I'll, I'll go next. I think I think um, Mike. Mike has the harder job when it comes to making the case for outperforming Bitcoin. I think VCs have to make that case more strongly to their LPs. And most of the time, by the time founders um, are having these conversations with VCs, they're talking to somebody who wouldn't be in that seat doing that job if if they didn't believe that there was an opportunity to to have those kinds of returns. But still, I think from, from my perspective, I guess I would, you know, to answer that question, I would say, well, you know, firstly, what time period are we talking about? you know, Bitcoin, you know, BTC, the asset might, you know, 5x, 10x within a year and or six months, um, at, I guess the most optimistic, like, are we going to perform, you know, are we going to grow that much in that period of time? Perhaps not. Um, but, you know, what, what are we really talking about? We're talking about returns for the fund over the, the, the VC fund, that is, or the over, over the lifespan of that fund. So, We've got to, I guess, we'd be specific about what time frame are we talking about, and then again, to, to Mike's point, I would say, yeah, you know, startups are, are bargains right now. Um, it's it's a great time to be a buyer of equity in an early stage Bitcoin startup, um, probably even more so than it is to be a great time a, a great time to be a buyer of BTC itself. Yeah, I'll go next. I think uh, some, so Mike and Julie covered the, the Bitcoin investors perspective really, really well. Um, I think it's a very hard job, frankly speaking. Um, you know, outperforming Bitcoin is is a hell of a job. Um, it's, it's truly a Herculean task. So, uh, you know, at some level, sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm very, you know, pr- proud of all of us in the industry trying to like beat <laughs> the Bitcoin price over the longer end. I'll talk about our experience, uh, both personally, uh, me as a you know traditional VC in, in my past role, and now as a founder raising from traditional VCs for a Bitcoin company. Uh, if you think of like traditional VCs, their LPs are typically, you know, endowment funds, pension funds, universities, you know, uh, other large institutions, and their hurdle rate is really low. Um, they allocate like roughly 80 to 90% of the capital in like treasuries and and you know, bonds and things like that. And the typical allocation to like venture capital is, is less than 2%. So they are looking at a very low hurdle rate to me, uh, you know, um, beat. And, and to that extent, you know, at, at some level, uh, raising raising money or, or being able to raise money from traditional VCs certainly help. I, I think traditional VCs don't really ask this question, how will you beat the Bitcoin's price appreciation just because their LPs are not really asking or their LPs are not directly uh, buying, buying Bitcoin asset. Um, obviously, if, if you're raising from like Bitcoin investors, their LPs are likely going to be Bitcoiners. And, and to that extent, they might have a direct interest of buying, holding the commodity itself. And, and, and to that extent, it becomes really, really hard for venture firms operating in the Bitcoin space to, to raise more money. Um, but yeah, when we're talking of like the broader venture capital asset class, um, broader private equity asset class, I, I think there the, the hurdle rate is not really to beat Bitcoin. Obviously, at least not not right now. Over the long periods of time, uh, as more investors understand Bitcoin, they will start expecting Bitcoin-like returns for their traditional funds. Um, but that's certainly not the case right now, and 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 that kind of helped us. So, like, while I I knew of this challenge somewhat uh, internally, I would I would think to myself, and I was I used to like talk to my co-founders about this, that hey guys, like, how are we going to be beat uh, you know outperform Bitcoin over the next five to ten years? Uh, but but frankly. Um, our, our investors, at least at this point of time, our investors don't really care about that much. Um, they, are, they are trying to beat like 
eight, 9% S&P 500 returns, maybe like 12%, you know, NASDAQ returns, uh, I think with like, you know, give, give better returns than that. Um, so, yeah. I would just add on to this. I think um, at a high level, some of this neat saying is actually very complimentary for fundraising. Um, because if you're a pre-seed or a seed stage company, you can talk to L- Bitcoin LPs who are going to get the overall mission and they can get a valuation that actually, if the business works, can be Bitcoin on Bitcoin terms. Like it is, it is easier, but ris- it's risky, but, it, but it's easier to like from a straightforward perspective of seeing a company able to execute, let's just put a number and say like a $10 million valuation and one day it becomes a unicorn, right? For a hundred X. Whereas like we all believe Bitcoin in a super bullish sense, but like Bitcoin to hundred X right now, 26 add two zeros, right? Like you're, you're talking like $2.6 million per coin to do a hundred X in Bitcoin compared to if you, let's just say 10 mil going to a unicorn, right? Like now granted, I think we all are very bullish on Bitcoin and in the aggregate long run sense, it is a certainty that we all believe that Bitcoin is going to continue to grow its monetary value in the network. But from a risk adjusted perspective, if you're getting in into an early stage company, you have to be building a vision that like, and, and pay those early investors a valuation commensurate that they can win with you as you work your way up. I would add additionally to this, if you're designing a Bitcoin business, it, it needs to, this is, um, I, I've had this conversation publicly now a couple of times with um, American HODL, who was the first check. He was the first investor into my company. And and what the, the nugget is, is that you, you need to actually build a Bitcoin business that's actually going to be like, if it works, like, a massive unicorn success. It can't be a hobbyist DIY project. It can't be a lifestyle business. If you're doing a lifestyle business, there's nothing wrong with lifestyle businesses, but like that's something you bootstrap. That's not something you have a pitch deck for a lifestyle business and go and raise money. And I think this conundrum around, can you like outpace the returns of Bitcoin? Um, I would understand very cynically if someone was asking me to give them money for a lifestyle business. But if you're thinking, if you're trying to build a business and your vision is building something that could be a junger dot of industry, and it works, like if it were to work, people who got in early could be compensated for that. Like that's worth the trade-off where you can confidently say, like I said earlier, like I raised my angel round, Bitcoin's at 56K. So even if I did not raise at a flat val, but like if I did, um, you'd already be up 2X, like like because the Bitcoin price is down 50% since then, right? So like understanding market timing, understanding like how you're collecting funds. Like I think these are all important mechanical things. Building big aspirational businesses, if they succeed, can actually just like add to the Bitcoin value proposition and easily outpace the returns of Bitcoin because it's a smaller cap. It has lower liquidity. It has many trade-offs. But I think that's why a lot of people, when they're trying to build a Bitcoin business, they get gummed up on, can I beat Bitcoin's returns? Because sometimes I think it's an honest conceit that they don't think that their business, even if it were to be super successful, could have the return multiples that would actually let you outpace Bitcoin. So those are, again, just more of my thoughts kind of recently finishing and wrapping up the journey on fundraising and thinking about building a company in the space. So it is possible for um, an early stage company to just bang, bang uh, to what do they call it? They call it the, the just go nuts uh, scenario. And um, that is possible. And a few things that I've had with very small checks uh, in, in my own angel investing journey, you blink and the things up 86 X. I mean, that does happen. Okay. And then, you know, we go through the time that we're in now and I mean, who knows where everything lands, but it can happen very quickly. And I don't know. I mean, for Bitcoin to do that at this point in time, it's going to be tough. 
So, you know, we're closing an investment from our fund or one of our last ones. The valuation is a $6.5 million post, right? That's a safe note. So it might not be that valuation, right? Could be less. Uh, but, you know, the maximum that our investment will convert to is $6.5 million. Uh, so if that does turn into a unicorn or, you know, a half a billion dollar company, that can, in my opinion, is going to happen much faster, uh, than, than, uh, the, than Bitcoin, uh, going a hundred from here, you know, and, um, you know, as far as building a hobby project projects go, like there's great ways to get those things funded, you know, uh, like if maybe if you're in the education space or you're doing something that's helping a third world country, it might not be like a venture business, but, there's there's now there's a ton of grants oh my gosh there's more grants than ever right now floating around and there's always things like geyser and you can build a great nonprofit. and like a lot of these things like i'm not the guy you know somebody's like oh this is my obscure node management kind of whatever whatever um that's not really me i like fun stuff you know spin the wheel and get that back i mean that's fun uh and maybe that's lame that i like fun stuff like that right uh, I'm not really into the automated node liquidity, whatever, whatever's. Um, but those projects still need to happen. And the smart people that I listen to and that I respect, they're all about it, right? But it might not necessarily like be a business. So um, to go for that big market, uh, like Rob was saying, I mean, he's going after the insurance market. I mean, that's huge. And something like uh, something like Anchor Watch, all of a sudden, if they get a deal with Allstate or, you know, um, Liberty Mutual or I don't freaking know. Um, but those type of things can catapult that into like uh, a market, you know, category defining uh, legacy business and like introducing Bitcoin. Like there's a very big potential there. Like that's a big TAM rather than like, hey, you know, we're teaching, you know, sixth grade kids in this country um, about Bitcoin, you know, and they get like maybe paid a little bit something from the school. Like that's not really something that's like suited for, you know, investability from like what people typically look for. Right. Well, that's super interesting. Um, you know, one, one of the thoughts that I have is there's this meme that you know, you you buy when when there's blood on the streets and then you sell when everybody's buying Lambos, right? And um, this is definitely, this seems like the area where you want to start buying. Obviously, nobody has any capital at this point. So if you can have some some ammunition at this point, um, yeah, you're right. I think there's, uh, actually, the more that Bitcoin matures, the better the argument for investing in Bitcoin companies might actually become, right? So that that's a really interesting argument. I think all of the arguments that were made were very, very thoughtful. And uh, that's, that's a topic that I haven't really heard people really engage. Um, and also, if you ever see me flying around the world and uh, con contemplating buying a Lambo, then, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe it's time to hedge your bets, you know, maybe take a little short position. Um, anyway, so on the on the topic of racing, right, um, It's it's been said that, let's say, there's two sort of sectors of venture capital within the broader crypto industry, right? So there's like crypto, you know, and like everything, Ethereum, and everything that's going on over there with the quote unquote smart contracts. And then there's like, there's Bitcoin, right? 
Um, and you know, one of the things that I think Bitcoiners really try to try to uh, defend is the 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 uselessness of creating a token to like cash flow your business, right? But I have to assume that this is a temptation and an argument that as Bitcoin entrepreneurs, you guys are you know regularly faced with. Um, how do you guys deal with that temptation? And is there really a separation of the VC space still between like like quote crypto and Bitcoin? Uh, or is that sort of vanishing? I, I think um, just just quickly, one. I think the, the relevant distinction is perhaps not so much crypto versus Bitcoin, but it's like tokens versus software or tokens versus real products. And so many investors, what they you know they look for token opportunities, right? For all for obvious reasons, um, and are just less interested, or you know, <laughs> less interested in. Uh, in, in not getting early on a pre-mine somewhere. So, um, of course, then there are Bitcoin-only VCs and then there are VCs who will do a bit of both. Um, but if you, yeah, I think that's kind of a relevant distinction to make um, off the bat. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, for us, you know, to the, to the to question of how do you deal with the temptation, I think the temptation's not there if you just have enough conviction in what you're building and the problem that you're solving. Um, I think the era of slapping a token onto something um, just to attract some investors is gone in this market, I would imagine for everybody, even in the crypto space. Um, and so that's that's the answer there. It's like, what problem are you actually solving? And could it be relevantly affected at all by the presence of a token? Or In our case, the answer is straightforwardly no. Um, so, so there's really no temptation there. So I, mean, somebody, I used to like get. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, go ahead, Smee. I was just saying that I I used to like you know uh, early on our sort of fundraising journey, um, I I would actually get triggered by some investors when they would ask me that hey like what are the token economics and like how how are you gonna like issue tokens and things like that and I I would I would get triggered um, but you know over time I realized that it's it's not worth sort of you know fighting back with them. Um, I, I think as long as, you know, Bitcoiners, I think, don't care about these things. Uh, they understand what Bitcoin means. And yeah, I, I, I think like if, if some investors ask you about token economics and if you like plan to like do any tokens, just just ask to like, you know, pol- politely disengage with them and, and kind of move on. I think it's it's sometimes very hard to like convince someone who is coming in from this angle of, oh, can I like pump and dump this token? Uh, versus like actually funding um, a, a, bus- a traditional business uh, that is that is building in Bitcoin. I, I always used to like, tell to our investors that, hey, like we are a traditional finance business in many sense um, or or maybe like a, a traditional fintech business in many sense where, where the core asset is Bitcoin, where the core underlying technology is Bitcoin, but um, not, nothing about us is actually quote unquote crypto-like. Um, sure, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, if you want to like call call that a cryptocurrency. But outside of that, there is there is nothing uh, crypto like about about our company. And um, they they would some some of them obviously sort of understood, but but a lot of them did not. Um, and um, yeah, so that that's I would sort of you know somebody who is uh, investing in property tech, right? Prop tech, or you know consumer packaged goods or beverages or, you know, the typical LP that invests in those type of funds, um, they don't really have to beat Bitcoin. 
right? I mean, their LPs are not asking those general partners like, hey, do you think uh, you think you're going to outperform Bitcoin? Because they're not even really thinking about it, right? Every Bitcoin VC has to do that, right? And then if you think about the crypto VCs, right? Do you think the crypto VCs, after all the scams and everything, right? And we think Bitcoin's, you know, in, in, been a bloodbath, right? I mean, can you imagine uh, the bloodbath in, in crypto? Um, and, and like, you know, can you outperform crypto? You know, can you outperform the tokens? Can you outperform crypto with your venture, with your crypto venture fund? It's like, well, <laughs> can I outperform it going all going to zero? I mean, I hope so. Right. So I don't think that they are like up against the same kind of, you know, battle, uh, as we are. Cause right now it's pretty easy to outperform Luna. Um, you know, I think the the bet is, is somewhere else. Look, I'm going to go back to this event, but thanks to Smeet and Juan, uh, someone just sent me a bunch of questions. I just telegrammed them to you. He's like, can you send these to Juan? So I just forwarded that to you. I'm going to hop off here, but um, it's good hanging with you guys. And if anyone's going to be at Pacific Bitcoin, I'll see you here. And see you, Mike, awesome. tomorrow. Um, is there any tools that you guys use as entrepreneurs that are, let's say, indispensable for to you that are you know not obvious right like yeah. not a cell phone not a computer what like my what bitcoin you guys... node okay okay <laughs> all right i'll check dms okay any any other any other thoughts on indispensable tools for to the bitcoin entrepreneur my, my co-founder shiram is here as well maybe he can sort of talk more about uh, some of the technical tools we might be using um i personally don't think i use anything specifically uh bitcoin related i mean i i you know i, I look at marketing business development um so and on, on that front i just use like traditional startup tools scaling um so I, i i don't think i use anything specific with respect to bitcoin um but i'm sure on on, on the engineering front um on the product development front there, there would be some tools that are helpful but maybe rob rob can speak more about that yeah nothing nothing special on my side either that's bitcoin specific other than um i guess part of what's cool about being at an early stage Bitcoin company is you get to kind of experiment and tinker with a lot of different tools um, and kind of try and put them to work. You know, for, for us, we process a lot of uh, lightning payments. And so just playing around with all different tools that other people are building, um, you know, we're massive fans of Albi, for instance, and uh, so many great things being built all the time in Bitcoin and um, getting to kind of road test a lot of those things is, is a fun part of the job. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Great. Um, any, any other thoughts on that? Okay. All right. So I'll just get to Matt's question real quick, which I thought was good. He had two questions. One of them about uh, how do you store your Bitcoin? But we have a great podcast with Jameson Law pinned on my Twitter. So anybody that's interested on how to do cold storage uh, and, and long-term huddle, check that out. Also check out, uh, The, the the company that uh, check out Thea Bitcoin, you know, that's another multi-sig wallet. And I think it's really, really important to sort of explore these options. Uh, but the other question that I had that he had that I thought is interesting is um, when you need to take profit or when you need to get money in hand, how do you cash out? And so this goes back to this question of uh, treasury balancing and so on. Um, do you guys, I mean, again, going back to kind of some of these themes, 
Do you guys have like a game plan or a, you know, a roadmap, like a, like a game plan for navigating these cycles that are somewhat predictable now? You know, you get a bear market, it lasts two to three years, then you get a massive run up, then everybody's excited. Do you, do you have a playbook for that or you just kind of go with the flow and, you know, you're on different, on different cycles, so to speak? It's the same thing I said earlier. If you have less than a year runway in cash, you shouldn't be holding any Bitcoin. You're not a hedge fund. People invest in you to try and build a company, not to hold Bitcoin. Otherwise, uh, people are paying an opportunity cost just for you to hold Bitcoin with higher risk than for them to self-custody. You should be responsibly deploying that. If you have over a year runway, then yeah, some Bitcoin bounce a position, you know, be pro-exposed because you're already kind of heavily exposed in the industry. But I'd keep it to a minimum because... You're already your businesses are probably highly correlated with the growth of Bitcoin to begin with. So there's no need for you to be triple levered on top of that for you being a founder or building full time in Bitcoin and have an entire Bitcoin balance sheet. Like some businesses necessitate that. But like as a general rule, that that's kind of my high level view of it. And taking profits is something that like isn't something I'm really trying to view. Like any profit cash flow goes into building business at this point. This is uh I mean, I think everyone on stage here is like, you know, a seed stage, right? So they're not a growth stage company with free clo- free flowing cash flows. Yeah, no, 100% echo with Rob here. Um, if, if your runway is is short, you should obviously not, not hold anything uh, other than US dollar or whatever currency you're building in. Um, I, I kind of earlier sort of alluded to holding a little on Bitcoin treasury. Uh, we do it ourselves, but it's a very, very small amount. Um, yeah, so I was. Um, I, I think I brought up the topic of um, holding Bitcoin on on treasury, and I, I kind of agree with com- completely agree with Rob that if your runway is short, uh, it's less than one year. You should never really hold any Bitcoin. Um, you should only hold your local currency, on, only the dollar, uh, for that matter. Our runway is close to four years, um, so to that extent, we do we do uh, hold a, a, a tiny. Um, portion in bitcoin uh it's it's just like a rainy day fund we don't plan to like sell it for profits we don't plan to like um do anything with it except for the fact that if you know if if you know things hit the fan and if you know things uh, bitcoin price has let's say rallied but like the companies for some reason has has, has been struggling um that that you know rainy day fund might come come handy um two years three years down the road uh, but yeah, I, I can't 100% agree with uh, Rob that you should you should not try to speculate uh, your investors' money in, into um, Bitcoin and definitely nothing outside Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, kind of kind of concur there. Yeah, nothing really for me to add there, other than um, yeah, t- taking profits, whether in a um, investment sense or just um, from the businesses. Is just not super relevant for us given our stage. Um, right now, we're just trying to, we're in any early stages of finding product market fit. So that's that's the main focus. Right. Yeah. So yeah also, I, unless you're unless you're deploying uh, Bitcoin capital from your balance sheet, I mean, as, as Rob said, unless you're a venture capital fund or a hedge fund, that's a whole different story. Uh, if you're building a real business in Bitcoin, you should obviously not be, you know, in, investing in Bitcoin for speculating on the price. Um, it, it can at best act as a as an insurance as a hedge against the price rallying. But like say for some reason your company not doing well or things something you know, something's going wrong with your company while while the ore industry is going going uh, doing well. Um, in, in that case, it might come handy. But otherwise, you, you certainly should not be speculating on on the price of Bitcoin. That's that's, that's a fiduciary um, duty that that you hold to your investors of, of not like speculating you know uh, with their money. Hmm. Yeah. No, that, that's great advice. And I think that's advice that is good to apply, even if you're not a Bitcoin entrepreneur, you're just, you know, a hodler or just, you're just somebody that's maybe trying to have a, 
a sound uh, portfolio for your for your savings, you know, not investment advice, but yeah, like, you, you know, if your runway is less than two months and you're in a bear market, you might be forced to sell your Bitcoin at the bottom. And that's pretty much the worst case scenario. So to whatever degree you can avoid that, you know, uh, it's good. And when everybody thinks we're going to the moon, that's probably when you should take some profits uh, in my uh, humble uh, experience <laughs> in this industry. Uh, but, you know, you gotta, it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act, right? Um, okay, thank you, Rob Hamilton, so much for joining us. I know you got to go. Um, I have one more question for the panel, and then I'd love to move on to talk about Thea and get into a little bit more detail about about this this new multisig uh, product, which I think is really interesting. Um, artificial intelligence, obviously, it's the it's the big thing. Everybody loves it. Everybody wants it. Uh, everybody's talking about it. Um, is it how real is this? We had Svetsky on couple of uh maybe like a few shows ago and he kind of made an argument for why it's actually uh, there's a lot of hype and it's probably going to take longer than we think and really it's just like a stochastic parrot of sorts that's sort of useful at times and he's building an ai company so he's he's in the depths of it um and then we're i'm seeing some of the companies be like hey not only do we do bitcoin we do bitcoin and artificial intelligence and you know that's hot right so is there a real like is there a real connection? Do you guys see a real connection between AI and Bitcoin here? And or how much of this is just straight straight up fluff? Yeah, I mean Swetsky is building a Bitcoin and AI business, right? So it's it's a great question for him. I'll 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 just say uh, I have I have many thoughts on, on AI and Bitcoin. Um so first and foremost, I would say your your first question about uh, AI being real or not, I think really it really depends uh what do you exactly like define by AI at this point. Um AI started meaning meaning a, a lot different to a lot of people, right? So in many ways, uh, the large language model revolution that we have had over the last, let's say, give or take one year with ChatGPT 3.5 and then ChatGPT 4 and other large LLMs, um, I actually think that the LLM part of AI revolution is actually underhyped and not overhyped. Um, a lot of people are still not figuring out or rather like we are figuring out like use cases and, and things about LLMs uh, as we go every single week, every single month. So I, I, I think that the LLM piece of AI is is in many ways underhyped. Um, where I sort of kind of disagree with the broader AI narrative is that I am I am not an AI doomer. I'm not a, a AI safety kind of a guy just because I think that unless we see like real world AI, which is like, you know, robotics and um, things really moving like in the AI in the atomic world, that's that's a time maybe when I might start getting a little freaked out. But uh, I certainly don't really see how LLMs in, in, in many ways um, can can disrupt that. So um, I, I would say like, like you know, LLM-based AI, in, in my opinion, is somewhat underhyped. I, I do, by the way, like keep changing these views over 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 like a few months, over a few weeks, uh, depending on like you know what I'm consuming, what I'm sort of you know using it myself, and I'm sort of talking to other great founders operating in the AI space. But certainly, there's a strong reason to believe um, that LLM-based uh, AI revolution is just getting started, and I think we have not really even seen. Um, the the first one percent of of the movie uh, unfolding um, the the physical world AI which is like robotics and like sort of more mainstream AI that that you know people think in like Terminator terms and things like that I think we are many years away um, I, I have like friends uh, who who are like professors of of robotics in in at USC and like he's been working in in, in self driving cars perception and now sort of you know core robotics for last twelve years and and he thinks that. Uh, 
robotic based AI is is still like a very, very far way to go, right? I mean, we have seen videos from Boston Dynamics, you've seen videos from like Tesla bot. Uh, they're all very impressive, um, but I think they're nowhere close to being production ready just yet. And 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 kind of like concur with that. So um, I I think there is a lot to go. Um, I would say on the intersection of AI and Bitcoin, um, uh, there are, there is obviously intersection of AI and LLMs. Sorry, Bitcoin and LLMs. What Swetsky is doing. Um, when I think of intersection of AI and Bitcoin, I think of them as as both uh, deflationary forces. Um, AI will likely uh, generate a lot of like productivity boom for for the broader sort of you know human civilization. Um, and and when that is priced in Bitcoin terms, which is again a deflationary form of money, I, I think people are just not able to figure out what that really means, right? Um, that that's a double whammy uh, in in many ways. So we are going to have this like massive, massive, uh, you know, productivity economic boom because of AI over the next five, ten, fifteen years, and that all priced in Bitcoin terms um, is 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 gonna be like uh, really massive. So I I I, I personally have been um, you know, somewhat sometimes tweeting at the intersection of like um, how I see sort of AI uh, actually benefiting from from Bitcoin's adoption in many ways, especially this movement around open source AI and not having large centralized companies, corporations, big tech uh, centralizing some of these models. I actually think Bitcoin can play a very, very significant role in, in providing that. Uh, you know, I, I like to use this term called like thermodynamic immunity. Um, it, it, it provides like Bitcoin, if if AI companies and, and, and the broader AI movement adopts uh, Bitcoin as a unit of account or, or starts, you know, thinking of, you know, uh, Bitcoin as a, as a broad unit of account, uh, it, it will like give them immense amounts of immunity against a lot of centralizing forces. So um, I'm, I'm certainly very excited. Um, you know, I, I, me and Julian have had like private chats about this as well. Um, you know, we, we have both, both of us have some friends working in, in AI in, in, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I think um, I, I'm personally definitely excited. So I'm, I'm kind of an outside observer. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not smart enough to like uh, build and code in AI, but definitely very, very excited about, about like what's happening out there. Julian, any thoughts? Yeah. Um, so look, I think there are, it's such a big question and there are, there are narrowly tailored answers and there are maybe more broad um, perspectives as well. I guess the narrow one from, from my perspective is I'm, you know, a founder of a specific business within Bitcoin that's trying to solve a specific problem, right? I mean, f- for us, it's, you know, we help people to find and compare Bitcoin products and services um, and help them decide what to use and do that reliably and at scale. And so, you know, the answer, I guess the perspective I would take or anyone anyone building any product would be, does AI or anything else for that matter help us solve that problem for users? Does it solve Does it solve a problem for users? And if the answer is yes, then it might be relevant. And if the answer is no, then it's not. And so that I guess that's the the kind of um, the narrow, uh, the really the narrow response. More broadly, as Smith suggested, I think there are, um, and again, I, I'm just a lay person here, but I think AI and Bitcoin, where do they where do they intersect? You know, on to some degree, they intersect in in cultural senses. Um, you know, and something. I suppose what, one thing I see is what what's the energy like right now in tech um, and in Bitcoin? Like, what's the culture like? We're in a bit of a bear market, yes, and there's kind of a bunch of negativity and 
um, perhaps a little bit of pessimism, but not everywhere. And and some of the places where there is actually a degree of optimism are these two areas where people are building, right, with like a lot of energy, a lot of positive momentum, uh, and people are really excited about the future. Um, and that's certainly the case in AI. Um, and you can see that reflected not only in all the people, I guess, building companies, but as I said, kind of culturally, you know, for, for people who are familiar with this kind of um, accelerationist movement, um, what what does that represent? It represents people who are who are painting a positive vision of the future, uh, and who basically want to hit the get. You know, let's basically saying everybody, let's hit the gas, let's accelerate, um, and and drive towards a future that is um, just far beyond what we what we have today. And and you know, we're kind of really positive and optimistic about that. So that's kind of AI broadly speaking. And then I think in Bitcoin there are many parallels, right? Like for for Bitcoiners. Uh, we, well, I can speak for myself, but what I find most exciting and inspiring about Bitcoin is that it is this kind of um, portal to a new paradigm, a much better future of you know sound money and everything that can be accomplished with that. And I think many builders in Bitcoin share that view too, and I, and I know Smeet does. And so, you know, why do what what Bitcoin and AI have in common? Well, at, the, at, a, at a broad cultural level, I think it, it's a lot of people building um, who share this type of mindset. Awesome. Yeah. And, and one of the great things about Bitcoin is that it actually lets you keep and capture the, the value that is created through, through innovation by entrepreneurs and technologists, uh, you know, over time, unlike, unlike fiat currency, which just melts it away and basically steals that innovation through through counterfeiting, through legal counterfeiting, right? So that's uh, that's one of my core arguments for that union between Bitcoin and, and AI. And uh, I have an article on that at huangal.com, so check that out. But uh, anyway, it's been a great panel. I think uh, I really enjoyed it. Everybody, please uh, pump the show a little bit. And we're, we're going to mo- move on to talk about Thea, which um, really interesting multisig. I'm a huge fan of multisig, and I think this sort of uh, focused design approach is the right approach to to get to mainstream, right? Because most people are not going to be nerding out with open source, hardcore tech necessarily, you know. So they're not going to be tweaking and they're not going to be putting uh, their money at risk unless they feel very safe. And that means you have to write, have a really clear product for them. Um, but, but before we jump into that, um, again, if you're a fellow Canadian, I'm Canadian myself. If you're a fellow Canadian, there's a great way to stack sats. Uh, Beaver Bitcoin, Canada's most user-friendly Bitcoin on-ramp. It supports dollar cost averaging. It sends directly to your non-custodial cold storage multi-sig wallet, potentially. And uh, it's so easy your friends and family can use it. So sign up today at beaverbitcoin.com. And for people that you think, you know, like I have a friend that's, uh, I think it's like 16. It's a, it's a Spanish, um, very sharp guy. He's learning to be a programmer. He's all over Bitcoin, all over crypto. He's everywhere. And uh, he's learning, right? And he and 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 th- there's a significant learning, you know, rab- uh, rabbit hole you have to go down. There's a significant learning curve. Well, uh, there's an app that gamified the Bitcoin rabbit hole, uh, a gamified orange pill that's wiser, uh, by size Bitcoin financial education. You learn and you earn Bitcoin. You get paid in Sats, and it's available on iOS and Android. Yzer.io uh, it's your gamified Bitcoin rabbit hole. Definitely recommend it to all your noob friends uh, who are going to be asking you um, how to buy Bitcoin in the next bull run. All right. 
Smith, tell us about Thea. What what is Thea? What is the vision? And uh, what are you guys building at Thea Bitcoin? Yeah, absolutely. But before that, uh, you know, great, great shout out to Julian and I know uh, Maz and uh, Rob left, but yeah, you know, shout out to them as well. Uh, th- thank, thank you guys for joining. Um, yeah, you know, our, you know, as, as you as as you mentioned, Ron, um, our our core sort of insight, our core thesis has been that while Bitcoin has been around for like you know close to fifteen years now, uh, self custody as as a problem for general masses is still not really well solved. Um, Sure, there have been a, a lot of different kinds of like Bitcoin wallets. We have had like a significant evolution in terms of like the ty- types of Bitcoin wallets that have evolved over the last 10, 10, 12 years. Um, most of these Bitcoin wallets require users to operate a specialized hardware. They require users to sort of uh, take, you know, manage their own seed phrases, backups, things like that, which is great. I think, as, as you said, again, uh, a lot of like Bitcoin, Bitcoin nerds, people on the Twitter sphere, uh, they are comfortable using open source technologies. They are you know, comfortable using open source uh, wallets. Um, that, that's great. But you know, when I talk to uh, people around me um, of, of all shades, of all you know, uh, socioeconomic classes, of, of of different backgrounds, different professions, um, even people who are like very smart and very technical and and working at some of these like big tech companies. Um, all the way to someone who is definitely not technical, all of them like really feel, you know, overwhelmed and, and kind of you know, put off when you talk about like hardware wallets and things like that. So what we realized was that self-custody is still not a really well-solved problem. Sure, there exist good good amounts of like, you know, uh, high quality wallets now where you can take, take self-custody. The, the problem with those wallets is, uh, as I said, you know, you need to like manage your own security, take your own backup. Uh, but but over and above, it's a single point of failure. Um, if you manage to lose your hardware key, if you manage to sort of lose your backup, if if God forbid your house catches fire, um, uh, you know a lot of lot of things can like go go wrong. And um, managing your long term savings, your generational wealth on a single point of failure uh, sounds very scary to me, um, certainly. And um, when when I started sort of stacking uh, Bitcoin, I, I hit a point where I realized that okay, like I cannot have this anymore on hard on on exchanges. So what should I do next? Um, obviously, I figured out there's hardware wallets, but then I realized that okay, like hardware wallets are this you know single point of failure. If if I'm not around, what happens? Uh, will my wife be able to operate this hardware wallet? If if let's say both of us are not around, what happens to our family? Will will they be able to like? take custody of of the savings that we have built in bitcoin and the answer was a very like a strong no and then we started talking to you know friends people bitcoiners no coiners crypto people uh, everyone in, in in the market and and we figured that okay this there is a huge gaping hole in this market and we need to address this and uh, what we figured is that you know multisig is arguably the gold standard of doing self custody um and i i know you are here sort of you know Spoken about this on your previous shows, um, Lop. He's, he's he's a great sort of OG in this space. Um, so uh, at some level, we we figured that okay, like multisig is is really the right way to do long term self custody. It allows you to have build uh, more than one points of failure. It allows you to build that resilience. It allows you to like do shared custody with your partner, with your family, with your kids, inheritance, all sorts of things. Um, and and to that extent, when when we went out in the market and and tried to look for multisig that there, there, there are a couple of good solutions but uh outside of them there is there is not really a mass market solution and and the solutions that exist today 
are largely catered again for like Bitcoin rich people. So not necessarily fiat rich people, but at least Bitcoin rich people. And and what we figured is that this sort of whole uh, new coiner pleb space um, is really, really underserved. Uh, and, and that's where we want to sort of, you know, build our focus and our energy. So how can we serve people who have 0.1 BTC, 0.3 BTC, 0.5 BTC, uh, all the way up to like 1 BTC and, and, and roundabout there? Um, I think they are really sort of, uh, they are only left with two options, either, you know, custody your coins with, with a centralized exchange, which obviously we know has massive amounts of counterparty risk, or you take self-custody in a single SIG hardware wallet um, that again has different kinds of uh, failure points. Or you are technical enough to figure out doing your own multi-sig setup through open source um, technologies and things like that. And and to that extent, we 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 our our you know core mission statement is to like make the world's simplest Bitcoin self-custody um, platform, which uses multi-sig at the back end. Ideally, um, you know, if you ask me, we would not want to like necessarily educate our users a whole lot about multi-sig. But we're obviously, you know, um, our, our setup kind of like gives that away that you still need to control two keys in a two of three hardware in a two of three multi-sig setup where customers hold two keys. We hold one key as a recovery key. So it's a, it's a two of three multi-sig. Um, and, and the way we sort of kind of build a narrative, especially around like no coiners and new coiners is that think of this as forget password to self-custody, right? So instead of sort of, again, like talking about, um, you know, different multi-sig models and things like that. I think a lot of people are now familiar with like what forget password means. And uh, whenever we sort of talk about that, I think pe- people appreciate it and ca- people kind of start realizing uh, the importance of it. So yeah, at, at a high level, the mission statement has been to like simplify uh, Bitcoin self-custody using multi-sig. Uh, we are big believers in <clears throat> mobile phones uh, as, as a driver of like global adoption of Bitcoin. Um, Obviously, again, you know, institutions, large enterprises, uh, very wealthy Bitcoiners, they, they have their own unique ways of custodying Bitcoin. Uh, but when we're talking about, you know, onboarding new plebs and, and new coiners, I think there has the mobile mobile phone has to be the gateway. Like, you know, it would be almost delusional to think that the entire world will move to a pen and paper standard in terms of like storing their coins or like something something really obscure, right? So we certainly don't share that view. Maybe we are wrong, but we, we think that mobile phones is, is the right stepping stone in terms of getting people to self-custody. And then once they are on Thea, once they're using mobile-based two of three multi-sig, uh, we always, you know, encourage them to like, uh, use hardware wallets as one of the signing keys if, if if they feel comfortable we will end up like building like more products which are like more more advanced uh, multi-sig worlds like three of five uh, will in- incorporate things like miniscript uh, where, you know and, and so I think there, there's a lot that we will be doing over the years uh, but as, as of now we are, we're out there to like simplify Bitcoin self-custody um, and, and truly for the masses uh, tr- truly for for everyone out there and um, yeah, the, making it accessible and affordable. Awesome. So that that's awesome. I, I again, as I've said, I'm a big fan of multisig, and I think uh, the the user experience and the user interface, the design of the app, is very important. You know, people people are very used to having shiny, pretty apps, and a lot of the technology in Bitcoin is very nerdy and very difficult to use and uncomfortable to use, really. And so. I think it's really important to have a product that's sort of focused on user experience. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the things that we saw during the pandemic and, and during the supply chain crisis was there's actually a shortage of chips. And 
some of these uh, hardware wallet manufacturers were just straight up not producing hardware anymore. The prices went up and, you know, you got to buy this secondary device and so on. So I tend to agree that mobile platforms are the way forward, you know, in a world where you couldn't make any more hardware wallets, you'd probably just bootstrap a, an old smartphone, you know, and have it on airplane mode and, 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 and use it as a key management hardware. Right. Um, so I think, I think, I agree that that's the right approach. Uh, one of the documents that I that you shared with me was around um, iPhone. So the, the 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 using like the the lack of uh, iPhone or mobile only multi sig. Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to to build on top of the iPhone platform? And um, you know what are the some of the security advantages of it that people might not be aware of? I'm not an iPhone user, so I'm, I'm I, I I only know of it like secondhand, right? So maybe tell us about that. Absolutely. Um, so I think um, we started with iPhone because you know we're obviously sort of uh, you know start starting uh, with with the U.S. market. U- U.S. market has has the highest adoption of I- iPhone, so like that's the default choice to build the first version. We will certainly be supporting Android. Um, you know, ho- hopefully within within the next two three months. So like we, we're obviously big believers in Android ourselves. In fact, one of my co-founders, Sridham, he spent like seven years. Uh, at Google, uh, building a bunch of different consumer apps at Google. So uh, certainly, we are very well well versed with with building on Android, and we will be supporting all sorts of um, you know mobile, mobile ecosystems. I, I do want to sort of go back to the earlier point and say that uh, while we are sort of you know um, iPhone friendly, mobile friendly, um, the way we think about our company internally, at least, is that we are building this hardware agnostic multi sig service. Right? What that means is that. It's a two of three service where customers hold two keys and we hold the recovery key. Our recovery key is never really used unless one of their keys is compromised, lost, or or you know stolen and things like that. Now the two keys that customers hold, um, they can have a choice um, ideally, right? So they they can either like hold both their keys on mobile phones, or they could use one mobile phone and one hardware key, or if they are you know. Uh, uh, if, if they're like so savvy enough, they could also actually use two different hardware keys for storing the two 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 keys. So I think at some level we want to like uh, make this a, a hardware agnostic platform and and give the choice back to the users. But in some ways, you know, um, we do need to like recommend a design choice, especially to new coiners as we onboard more people onto Bitcoin, people who are, you know, just starting to build their stack. Uh, to them, I think mobile acts as a fairly good way of onboarding mechanism. And uh, as, as as they learn more about Bitcoin, um, as they learn more about different sort of security modules, um, they, they can always be encouraged and educated to move to to using at least one of their keys, keys on, on a hardware device. So... Um, that's that's what I would sort of say. Argue, um, may, maybe I, I'll let sort of Sriram talk about why uh, the the specific security that that we leverage around iPhone and iOS. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. One of the reasons I think many of the reasons why we chose um, um, iOS versus Android is that uh, Android doesn't have a lot of security features that iOS offers. For example. The Apple has Secure Enclave. It's very similar to what you have on hardware wallets, right? Like Ledger or Trezor. So you all of your passwords that are like being stored on iOS are in that Secure Enclave. It's not accessible by other apps. There is also app sandboxing. So that means whatever data that is stored by your app cannot be accessed by other other malicious app, right? And if you like go to you know uh, Android Play Store. You can find many number of scammy apps, which is like not possible in Apple uh, because Apple has very strict 
abstract policies. It takes a lot to get your app approved. They uh, look at every single thing that's going into your app, what sort of permissions your app is asking, what sort of encryption algorithms that you're using, things like that. So it's really, really hard. Um, yeah, and, and Apple also has like, you know, best like privacy features that care a lot about privacy. And they also care a lot about security. Uh, and, and iOS is also like most widely adopted in US. And usually what we have observed is that if one person in the family uses iPhone, it's very highly likely that everybody else in that family uses iPhone. So we felt given that we are targeting like, you know, uh, people who are new to Bitcoin, people uh, um, uh, people uh, who want to share their custody, Bitcoin custody with others in the family, iOS uh, perfectly made sense. For Android, we, we're going to be looking at, you know, given all these issues that we have on Android, like, you know, what, what is it that we can do to make it as secure, as private as possible so users don't end up losing their funds? Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, one of the one of the dimensions of multisig that I think hasn't really been explored enough uh, is this sort of question of social multisig. Um, that's kind of what I call it, what I've heard other people call it. And just for people that are not really clear on what I'm talking about, you know, the, the, let's say the top multi-sig companies out there, they create a, a an, an individual's multi-sig where one individual has control over a majority of the private keys, let's say two of three, and then uh, the third party company holds one of those keys. And so, but but it's just one person holding that. Um, and usually it's actually in all cases, it's multi-sig, it's hardware wallets, right? So with Thea, where you're focused on on this sort of mobile platform that um, that is... Uh, often families have the same platform um you you would have for example your wife have you know one of the keys of their phone and you have another one and then thea has the other one uh that's the understandable example that i'm uh, understanding and how uh, is that right and how um you know how do you deal with a scenario for example where i don't know somebody's phone gets stolen and then they're trying to disable the other one like what are some of the worst case scenarios? And maybe tell us a little bit about how you guys uh, deal with them. Sure. So I'll, I'll just uh, quickly, uh, again, sort of re-emphasize the point that we, while we are focused on iPhone for, for the reasons why Shiram suggested, which is, you know, it is relatively easier to start on iPhone because iPhone has a secure enclave, which has a chip that allows us to like do the, 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 you know, the security well. Uh, but certainly that doesn't mean that we will not be de- developing on Android. Android obviously is 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 very much core to our product strategy and we will be launching on Android and we will be supporting a variety of different hardware wallets. We support Ledger today. We will be supporting Trezor in, in, in uh, near future and then, you know, a, a variety of other like uh, long tail of like Bitcoin only hardware wallets. Um, so that's that, 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 that's my broader point. In terms of um, the, the security of the keys, um, We'll, we'll again like let let's um, talk in detail but as uh, from from a non-technical perspective uh, whenever you sort of create a mobile key um, on your you know uh, for now on your iphone let's say the a backup of that mobile key uh, is always like encrypted and stored on your icloud account uh, so even if you like lose your iphone um like nothing really happens to your bitcoin nothing really happens to your world even if someone steals your iphone uh, they can cannot really access the Bitcoin. Even if like someone was stolen your bit, like, let's say iPhone actually like somehow manages to like breach your biometrics or has access to your passcode, 
uh, that will still do nothing because they only have access to one of the keys. So even if they try to initiate a transaction, um, if, they, if they try to sign a transaction with the one single key, um, as long as the second person who controls the key um, has their you know, phone or the co-signing hardware key secure, uh, nothing, nothing really happens. Uh, nothing really happens to your funds and to your, to your wealth. Um, so yeah, um, we, we always uh, recommend and, and the natural default flow in, in the app onboarding experience is such that the encrypted copy of your you know phone based key is always stored on your iCloud, um, and as and when needed, um, that can be downloaded back on onto your phone. So let's say if you are like just changing your phone, let's say if you are uh, upgrading from your previous model to a new model, um, you don't need to like worry uh, much. You just sort of you know um, discard your old phone, and then when you in you know get your new phone, install the app, uh, download the you know. The, the key from your iCloud and then you're again good to go. So you don't even need to like do anything major. So the whole point, the whole point of Thea has been like simplified self-custody, uh, you know, non-technical folks, uh, folks with more modest quantities of Bitcoin, uh, folks who might not necessarily have the, the energy levels or, or the technical know-how or, or frankly, the kind of anxiety that a lot, a lot of like people on Bitcoin Twitter has um, to actually sort of, you know, uh, you know, go to the hardcore extent um, of, of of securing the keys. I mean, for us, like security is paramount. Um, you know, we, we were born. I, I always like to tell this story that we were all we were born in in the age. We were coming out of age when when FTX was failing, um, right? So for us, counterparty risk um, and 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 security of funds is is the most paramount uh, feature, right? Like there is absolutely no way we are compromising on security. But that doesn't really mean that we compromise on user experience either. A lot of like Bitcoin industry or, or a lot of Bitcoin founders have in, in some many ways like made this mistake in the last 10 years where they have become like obsessed with the technicalities of Bitcoin and they have become obsessed with the, the security that they can deliver on Bitcoin only to like really sort of, you know, uh, take a negative hit on the user experience. Uh, which again works on, on the Bitcoin Twitter sphere. Um, people who are technical, people who are living and breathing Bitcoin day in, day out, um, that's fine. But for the vast majority of people, like 99 plus percent of the society, uh, they want a simplified experience. Uh, for, the, for the last 10 years, everyone uh, who is on this uh, spaces, everyone around us are used to using like, you know, extremely slick, uh, mobile apps like you know Uber and Spotify and and all sorts of things uh, for for you know doing all sorts of your like personal leads, financial leads. Frankly, right? Um, nobody goes to a bank anymore. Uh, most of your financial needs are served by your mobile phone or or maybe at best through your desktop web app. Um, so, I, how do we like simplify the user experience uh, without really compromising on security? Has been the core core uh, you know underlying philosophy in in terms of what we are building. Awesome. That's great. And and okay, so you you get you have on the roadmap uh, other hardware wallets, more uh, software platforms. You're gonna launch on Android, and that support you know different configurations of multi-sig. I think that's super cool, and I'm looking forward to the Android version. I'm definitely gonna try it out. Um, is there anything else on the roadmap that you think people should be aware of? Uh, what else is uh, it is something that's really exciting uh, for the future of Thea and what what are we looking at in terms of price points and uh, let's say the business model of there? Yeah, so um, we we just you know some of some of uh, the folks listening here might have seen we just went live with our first version on on the App Store. Um, the current version is still in a public beta mode, which means that you need to uh, 
have have the invite code to access the app. Uh, we are gradually releasing it. By the way, we have released it all to our currently waitlisted users. So whoever was on our waitlist earlier has has access to it now. And then, um, you know, once we are done with the security audit of our app, we will be like making it generally available. Um, in in the long term, our pricing model is going to be an annual subscription um, to the extent of about ten to twelve dollars a month, right? So uh, roughly speaking, you you end up paying about one hundred twenty to one hundred fifty dollars a year uh, to have this, you know, ho- hosted two or three multi-sig service, which which basically allows you to like have that you know forget password to to self custody kind of a feature. Uh, we do plan to have a freemium version as well uh, in in the future, which might be a less supported version in the sense it might it, it might be a two of two or or, or a one of two kind of a wallet um and 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 certainly we will be going up market in the sense of like uh, delivering a three of five multi-sig for more advanced users uh, who are interested in like bringing more hardware wallets um and, and making their multi-sig really cold um so that's um uh, that's 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 where we are headed this is all talk about self-custody so like self-custody in many ways is just like act one or maybe even act zero, right? Um, this is just the beginning of, of the company. In, in in the long run, we think of Thea as, as the default consumer uh, Bitcoin FinTech app. And, and to that extent, we want to support Lightning. We want to support uh, Bitcoin accumulation features. And as and when other layers are built on top, top of Bitcoin, uh, we, would be, we would be incorporating um, ma- ma- many other sort of, you know, investment-related features and, and, and lending and things like that. That is a little sort of, honestly, a uh, little vague in the sense that we, we still don't know what a financial services firm purely operating on a Bitcoin standard looks like. But we are very excited about uh, being one of them, you know, come 2025, come 2026. Uh, for 2024 roadmap, I think Lightning is obviously a very interesting um, piece on our roadmap, and then Miniscript-based volts is is another sort of big thing that we are uh, working towards. So, for now, we are we are really sort of you know improving this two of three simplified multi-sig experience. Uh, next year, we will create Miniscript-based volts, and then uh, possibly like you know single-sig Lightning vault, uh, li- Lightning wallets, which which kind of act as your checking account, right? So this two of three multi-sig is is more of a long-term savings account. If you think about banking in at least US-centric terms, it's it's a it's a long-term savings account, and your Lightning wallet um, or, or or a single-key uh, Bitcoin wallet would act more like a, a checking account. So that's that's how we sort of uh, you know kind of uh, building in and. This is to to my earlier point of meeting where the user currently is versus building something that you know founders want to build. Um, a lot of young founders make this mistake, you know, not just in Bitcoin, outside Bitcoin as well, where um, there's a lot of like motivation, energy, uh, and a vision to like build something that that you really want to see in this world. And um, you know, I, I, all, all of us sort of face this. I, we, we have certainly faced, and we still kind of face it. But at some level, we need to meet where the users are. And, and users are used to like doing uh, financial services in certain ways. And how can we deliver a financial services app that is like built on the Bitcoin standard um, that, that is sort of true to Bitcoin ethos. And, and again, it's simplified, you know, very high, use, very good user experience, uh, very secure um, and, and all of that good stuff that Bitcoin brings. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, what Bitcoin allows us to do is to compete in a fair environment, and so I totally agree. We have to be we have to be attentive to where customers are, you know, because not everybody is going to become an engineer, not everybody is going to be a programmer, nobody not everybody is going to become a Bitcoin uh, hardcore, you know, maximalist nerd, right? And unfortunately, that's just the reality. People have lives and other interests, right? And 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 
And so we have to build for them, right? Um, as a technologist, Absolutely. yeah, I mean, as a technologist, I'm curious, uh, are you following uh, some of the conversations that are going on around covenants, um, you know, CTLV or C- CLV, Fediments, eCash, you know, there's all this stuff going on on the, on the edges of innovation in Bitcoin that may have really put in big uh, consequences for the future of Bitcoin and how we use it. Are you guys looking at that? Do you have any thoughts on, on that, specifically covenants that seem to have uh, very important uh, use cases for uh, security? Yeah, definitely. We're keeping tabs on all the new innovation that's happening, you know, uh, around uh, a mini script, uh, Taproot and uh, um, OP Vault, uh, Frost, uh, the many things happening. Uh, uh, what we're trying to see is how best can we leverage this technology to solve a unique problem and to make it further easy and to make it more secure. Uh, so which could involve creating a new type of walls that's more powerful where you can... Um, um, uh, recover your key without any uh, on-chain footprint, things like that. So it's pretty exciting to be in Bitcoin at this moment, to be honest, uh, with a lot of innovation happening, a lot of developers coming into this space, a lot of companies building uh, collaborative uh, multi-sig solutions, etc. Um, yeah. yeah, and also I, I also wanted to point out something uh, cool that we're building. Uh, we always, like, like Smith said, um, we are very, um, we take counterparty risk very seriously. We want to uh, make sure users control their funds completely at all the time, even when Thea is down for whatever reason, or if we, uh, you know, or not, no longer operate like five years down the line. So they will always have access to the funds uh, and uh, they own the keys, right? So that's the uh, primary and the most important thing. Yeah, so on that topic of the of the third key and, and, and authentication, which is actually kind of an important question, uh, what options do you guys offer to authenticate that third key, right? Somebody's phone just, you know, they drops in the toilet and unfortunately it's got a leak, you know, and, and, or, you know, or, or it falls off your car, right? Like that, there's videos online of people, you know, losing their phones to crocodiles at the zoo, right? Um, so, you know, uh, one of the keys is gone. You have to rotate your keys. Uh, customer calls you up and says, hey, I need you to co-sign so I can refresh my multi-sig, which is something people really need to do if one of these keys goes missing. Um, how, w- what options do they have to authenticate and how do you guys navigate that process? Right. So um, uh, slightly orthogonal, uh, I want to address that. Um, one of the biggest differences between mobile phones and hardware wallets is because it, you always have phone with you, right? You know, you always know if you lo- lost your phone, you know that you've lost your phone as opposed to hardware wallets, you don't know, right? I personally lost hardware wallets in the past because I've not been using that uh, on a daily basis, right? So one of, the, like I said, um, Apple is great uh, because they have, like, they are like, you can treat, if you turn off your Wi-Fi, if you turn off your internet, it actually becomes a hardware wallet, right? So that's why, you know, we believe that's a great platform to start with. Uh, and your you have access to your key even in the offline mode, right? Because all of that, uh, the the uh, seed phrase and, and the private keys, all of that is stored in secure enclave, right? It's protected with biometric. So only if you, uh, you know, if, you pass through that you have access to it right so that's the number one thing and and for the case that you're describing where 
you lose your phone or or for whatever reason the phone is broken or something like that in that case you know you can get another iphone you can log into your app right and once you log into your app then uh, you still have the encrypted backup on icloud so that gets decrypted and and that's stored it gets stored locally on your phone and it again it's protected with biometric so we try to make sure uh a user gets access to the key in in like almost all scenarios in the 0.1% scenario where for whatever reason you lost access to your icloud but you also lost access to your phone right and in in those specific circumstances you would have to rely on your co-signer or your family member right because they still have access to the key and the third key is protected with security questions at this moment we are also trying to uh, uh figure out a way to improve that even further right now uh it's guarded with like security question that you set up when you onboard it so once you answer the security questions we verify that uh, and then you have access to the recovery key and then you can create a new vault and transfer your funds with a new key awesome yeah no that's great i think there's there's a lot of a lot of space to innovate here and um you know, I do think that multisig is superior to holding your money on Coinbase or, you know, or, or you know, I think we there's some statistics around this. Something like at least half of the Bitcoin that's been lost in the world has been lost to people just like building a maze and then getting lost in it or just being completely ignorant of their own security protocols or how to secure private key material in general, which is really not easy. They definitely don't teach it in school. And so, you know, to me, hardware that is or software that is difficult to use, security software that is difficult to use, is essentially insecure software. And so it has to be easy to use. It has to be friendly, and then it also has to be you know secure, right? So, um, any any final thoughts on that? I want to ask you about Y Combinator before we go. I think we're running up uh, on the end of the show, but um, any any final thoughts and. Um, you know, I just want to ask, like, about the Y Combinator uh, side of things. How, what is it like to be uh, part of such a, you know, prestigious startup environment? Uh, how, you know, how's that? How's that going? Yeah, um, no, I think it was certainly a very unique experience uh, on many fronts. One, it was unique because not many startups get to go to YC, but it was certainly even much more unique for us because I think in the history of Y Combinator, there have only been three or four uh, Bitcoin applications that have been accepted. And the first Bitcoin application that was accepted was Coinbase, um, which is obviously not Bitcoin anymore. Um, the second one, I believe, was Stacks, uh, which is, um, you know, Muneeb's company, which is somewhat Bitcoin only. And then I think we are one of the very few companies uh, with, with the Bitcoin application that, that got selected into Y Combinator, right? So I think we certainly sort of uh, really enjoyed that experience. I would say uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, Bitcoin potential entrepreneurs ask me this question. Hey, how did you get into YC with a Bitcoin application? I would say that uh, for the most part, Y Combinator actually funds teams, not ideas. Uh, and, and that is true, not just in theory. I mean, they absolutely say this out loud um, on their website, in their different videos. If you look at, uh, you know, read any YC partners, they will always say that they are in the business of funding great teams and great people, not in the business of funding great ideas, because ideas are like very, very fickle uh, in this early stage where YC comes into play. So um, if, if you if you think that um, you, you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur, I certainly encourage you to apply to YC, no matter what, what industry, what 
um, you know, what product you are building. I don't, I don't think um, YC took too much offense when we, when we said that we are going to only do Bitcoin and not do crypto, right? I mean, for the most part, like, okay, I think YC has funded maybe about 50 to 100 crypto companies in the last five years. Um, so YC has a fairly rich sort of crypto legacy in many ways. Um, you know, I mean, Coinbase is just one example, but like there are multiple other examples, including OpenSea and things like that. So uh, YC, YC um, was a little surprised when we when we said we are Bitcoin only, but they didn't they didn't really sort of uh, take a, a much offense because they like the team, they like what the vision we brought. So um, that's what I would say. Um, if if you believe what it takes to be a founder, um, and if you're an early stage company, especially if you're young, a first time founder, I would highly highly encourage considering applying to YC. And and the best part is that while well, YC obviously is is a is a US centric accelerator. Um, they truly have global teams, right? So um, they, they literally have companies from every single continent, every almost like all, all major countries um, in, in every single batch. So um, I, I, I highly encourage people um, who are early in their entrepreneurial journey to consider applying to YC. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show, Smeet. I really appreciate it. Same to you, Sir Mime, Sri Ram. Sorry if I butchered your name there. Appreciate Appreciate you coming on. Um, and yeah, and so people check out Thea Bitcoin, have a look at it, uh, get on that waiting list. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be doing one next week as always. We'll, we do one of these shows every week. We try to wait for Fridays uh, afternoon. And uh, we're also going to be span starting a Spanish version of this podcast. So very excited about that. And we'll be publishing the, uh, a podcast version of this show on huangout.com. So you can go sign up to the podcast there. Check out bitcoinnews.com, uh, the place for Bitcoin and Lighting Network News. And um, I think that's all. Thank you so much for joining us. If there's any, any final thoughts you guys have, please uh, take the mic. No, th th thanks a lot for hosting us. Uh, th thank you to all the listeners and, and all the speakers on the panel. Um, yeah, we are, you know, ultimately, as I said um, earlier, we're, we're on the same team. We are on, the, we are all uh, team orange and uh, yeah, let's, let's build together. Um, let's, let's build towards the Bitcoin standard. That was an absolutely amazing show. Thank you so much, Smeet, Juan, Saram, all the members of our panel today. I think we got some really great alpha, I mean, all throughout the first hour, of course. And then it was amazing to learn more about Thea and the, uh, the ins and outs of the technicalities of that. So, yes, thank you for everyone for listening in. This has been another installment of the Juan Gold Show. We'll be back next week. And just uh, keep on a lookout for that. Thanks again and have a great night. Bye-bye.